Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Story time. Hello, Horror Den. My Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Name is Jake, and I'm a National Guard agent. My unit and I were deployed to a remote region in Appalachian Mountains to investigate the sudden disappearance of several hikers and campers. As we arrived... We were immediately met with fearful whispers and nervous glances from the few remaining locals. They told us terrifying stories of a creature called the crawler, which had been spotted lurking in the shadows of the dense forest. Though the stories seemed unbelievable, 
The fear in the eyes of those who had seen the crawler was genuine. Unsettled but determined to find the missing people, my unit and I ventured deep into the uncharted wilderness. The locals gave us map of places where disappearances happened. Our search led us to a series of underground tunnels and caves, a hidden world that seemed to stretch on forever. As we descended further into darkness, our flashlights barely cutting through the gloom, we came face to face with the horrifying reality of the crawler. It was a monstrous being, unlike anything we'd ever seen, capable of hunting and killing with terrifying ease. We spotted it, while it was devouring some corpse. We aimed our rifles, and started shooting. We knew we had to use our tactical training and survival instincts to evade the creature. The creature was fast, even killing few of our men, but in the end it fallen under the barrage of our bullets. As we approached the carcass of a cryptid, we noticed a stamp that said US government. As we returned to the surface, carrying the lifeless carcass of the crawler with us, we couldn't help but wonder what other secrets lay hidden in the uncharted wilderness. Our mission had succeeded, but the truth we discovered left us questioning the world we thought we knew. In the end, we'd vanquished a cryptid, but the secrets of government involvement that surrounded it would continue to haunt us. I was critically injured after being attacked by a large and powerful unknown creature. The attack took place one night in an abandoned building on the outskirts of town. My close friend and colleague, who was with me at the time, described what he witnessed that night, I was there with him. We were searching the building for a suspect when all of a sudden, something came rushing out of one of the rooms. It knocked me off my feet. When I got back up, he was being attacked by this monster. It was much stronger than anything I have seen. It was able to throw me 10 feet in the air with ease. My partner pulled up his firearm, firing it several times, but it wouldn't budge an inch, like the bullets didn't even bother it. I don't know what happened after that. I blacked out for several moments. When I came to, the creature had already disappeared, and I was unconscious, badly injured, and bleeding with a head injury and broken ribs. I remember seeing my partner pointing his firearm at an unknown creature. I felt my gun jam. When I looked up, the unknown being seemed to disappear in front of me. I went to check on my partner and found him not breathing. I was able to regain consciousness but quickly collapsed again shortly thereafter. Police officers were immediately dispatched to the scene. They took both of us to a nearby hospital for treatment. We both sustained serious injuries and were unable to work for several months during the recovery period. Sometimes, some of the scariest things don't necessarily have to be a torn up body or tons of blood. They just have to be unexplained. So, I work for the forestry department and I often travel around conducting various bits of research. I've gotten to travel far and wide, often ending up in the most remote and often beautiful places that would be extremely unlikely to see your average Joe ever go to, unless, like me, it was something to do with their job. Therefore, when you find something in one of these spots that has very obviously been left by a person, there is absolutely no rhyme or reason for it. You can't help but jump to nefarious conclusions. So, when you're out in the middle of absolutely nowhere, 
up in the ass end of Canada with nothing around for miles, and you find a bed, it's kind of weird if not downright unnerving. And I want to be clear, I don't mean like some leaves and twigs, something somebody had created as a bed for themselves. I mean an actual single wooden bed, complete with rotten, moldy mattresses, multiple mattresses. Can you think of a singular reason why that would be there? There are no houses or any sort of building structures that used to be or are still there for miles and miles. In fact, the nearest road, I believe, is about 46 miles away, or in Canadian, 46 kilometers. There were no recent tracks except mine, although from the state of it, it did seem like it had been there for a very long time. It seemed like a very unusual place just to dump a bed you didn't want anymore, and also why? Who would haul a bed all the way out here? I ended up alerting the cops, wondering if maybe it had been used for a crime and dumped out here since it was unlikely anybody would ever find it, or maybe this was some kind of gang kill location. It seemed rather implausible, and thankfully, I couldn't see any obvious stains on the bed or around it, but who knew? I've never heard back about it, so I guess it wasn't the missing puzzle piece in some nationwide serial killer hunt, but I still can't think of a single good reason why it would have been there. My name is John, and I'm part of a National Guard unit assigned to protect the small town of Smallville, situated near a dense forest. The town had become the epicenter of a series of brutal attacks, and it was our job to protect the residents and track down the perpetrator. As we investigated the crime scenes, we found evidence of an unknown cryptid, which we suspected to be the legendary Dog Man. To aid in our search, we enlisted the help of a renowned cryptozoologist who had dedicated his life to studying these elusive creatures. Together, we delved deep into the surrounding woods, determined to confront the creature and put an end to the carnage. As we got closer to the truth, we uncovered a long-buried secret about the government's involvement in the creation and cover-up of these creatures. It was a chilling revelation that made us question everything we thought we knew about the world around us. One night, while we were searching for the creature, we heard blood-curdling screams echoing from the small town. Rushing back, our hearts pounded in our chests as we realized the horrifying truth. The entire town was gone, and all its inhabitants had been mercilessly killed. We were devastated and felt an overwhelming sense of guilt, knowing that we had failed to protect the people we had been assigned to safeguard. But before we could even begin to process what had happened, government officials arrived at the scene. They quickly quarantined the area and ordered us to return home, offering no explanation or consolation. We left Smallville with heavy hearts, haunted by the loss of an entire community and the knowledge that we had been so close to uncovering the truth about the dog man. The government had successfully silenced us and covered up their dark secrets, but the memory of Smallville and its people would remain with us forever. My best friend Vinny and I were out riding our motor scooter on a beautiful sunny day. We had been coasting downhill when the road started to rise, so we kicked on the motor, approaching a level overlook area of a clear cut about the size of two football fields. Before us, at the far end of the field, down below near the trees, something astonishing caught our eyes. 
A massive creature arose from a fetal sleeping position, it was a Bigfoot. It looked straight at us before swiftly heading south with its arms swinging. As it passed a stump, it took one giant step up into the forest and disappeared from view. We almost fell off our scooter, scrambling to grab our camera and binoculars while trying to process what we had just witnessed. The creature was huge, with a flat face that clearly wasn't a gorilla. Vinny insisted that we explore the area, so we carefully walked down several feet of clear-cut debris to the spot where the Bigfoot had been sleeping. All we found were impressions where the creature had been lying down, but nothing else. We noticed that the stump it had passed was 8 feet tall, and the creature had been chest high over it. The single step it took into the forest was at least 3 feet tall. We were both in awe and terrified at the same time. It was October 1993, and my cousin Jane and I were excited to embark on an elk hunting trip on Vinegar Hill. The area was known for its abundance of elk, and we were hoping to bag a big one. Little did we know that our hunting trip would turn into an unforgettable adventure. As we trekked along the creek, we came across a large muddy spot. To our surprise, we found five enormous Bigfoot tracks leading into the mud. Each track measured 20 inches long, and they were spaced far apart. Jane and I exchanged puzzled glances, wondering if what we were seeing was real. The following year, during elk bow hunting season, we found ourselves back in the same area. The memory of the Bigfoot track still fresh in our minds, we couldn't help but feel a little uneasy. As we hunted in the daylight around 2 p.m., we suddenly heard a loud, piercing eek, sound echoing through the forest. Startled, we both dashed back to camp, our hearts pounding. At sunset, our friend Jeremy joined us at camp. As we discussed the day's events, Jeremy noticed movement by a bush in between three trees. He squinted, trying to make out what he was seeing. In the fading light, he saw a dark, shaded figure moving through the trees. It was tall, around six and a half to seven feet, and walked upright like a human. At first, Jeremy thought it might be his brother, but as the figure disappeared into the woods, he realized it was something else entirely. We couldn't help but think back to the Bigfoot tracks we had found the previous year. Could it be that we had just seen the elusive creature responsible for those massive footprints? We later learned that the area was honeycombed with mines, raising the question of whether these creatures used them as shelter. Though we never had another encounter with the mysterious figure, our elk hunting trips on Vinegar Hill would forever be tinted with a sense of wonder and curiosity about the legendary Bigfoot. It was a beautiful day during archery season, and I decided to venture out on my usual morning hunt. The sun felt so warm and inviting that I couldn't resist the urge to take a nap before embarking on my late afternoon hunt back to camp. I found a perfect spot under a tree overlooking a dry creek bed with a large patch of young pine trees about 7 to 10 feet tall at the top of the clearing. The area then opened up into a 50 by 75 yard clearing, surrounded by mostly separated timber. The small pine tree location was fairly dense. I remember being jolted awake by loud thumping noises, like heavy objects hitting solid dirt and tree branches snapping. 
I instantly thought, here come the elk. So, I pulled myself together and eagerly prepared to see some elk emerging from the small pine trees. Instead, what I saw next left me baffled and uneasy. Large rocks, weighing 50 to 100 pounds, were being hurled through the air. They seemed to be coming from within the pine tree patch, and the commotion lasted for what felt like an eternity, but in reality, it was only about one to two minutes. I was completely taken aback. I had seen over 30 bears in the wild, had close encounters, and even observed them with spotting scopes, but what I was witnessing now was utterly unexplainable. I was certain that this was not a bear, bears roll rocks, but they don't throw 50 to 100 pound rocks. After the situation settled down, I cautiously walked back to camp and anxiously waited for my dad to return. The next day, I took my dad to the spot where I had experienced the strange event. We examined the rocks and found the exact spots where they had been removed from the ground. We could even see where the rocks had hit the ground and bounced. Unfortunately, we couldn't find any tracks since the ground was really hard, and there was a lot of grass undergrowth. My dad and I were left with more questions than answers, but one thing was for sure, something extraordinary and inexplicable had happened that day in the dense pine tree patch. This happened about 8 years ago when I was 11, I was over at my best friend's house for a sleepover. We, my best friend, his older brother, and I, we're all sitting around wondering what to do when older brother suggests we go to the park at which we happily agree. Now something to know, this park wasn't actually a park at all, it was actually a small and dense patch of forest in the middle of the suburb where my best friend lived. So we all get ready and make the 5 minute walk down there, we are there for about half an hour when we decide to stop and take a break in the middle of the forest. As we were sitting there we thought it would be fun to do the whistle from the Hunger Games, the movie had just come out and we were all obsessed with it at the time. So we all started doing it until the brother told us to be quiet, at first we didn't know when but then we heard it, a faint whistle back. The brother did it again and again there was a reply only this time it was closer and it kept getting closer. We all froze not sure of what to do until it seemed to stop, we all agreed it was time to go home at this point and as we were about to come out of where we hit I heard from a bush behind me hey, come here. And you can bet we took off running, as we were running I swear I could hear someone running after us so I turned my head back to look and when I turned back I ran I first into a tree branch, I took a nasty fall hitting my head. I don't really remember what happened after but my friend and his brother must have carried me out because the next thing I remember was my best friend over me asking if I was okay and we were in the field on the opposite end of where we entered. I had a black eye from the stick and a mild concussion from the full, the boys were both covered in cuts and bruises from running through the woods. We have never been back there since, we are all adults now my best friend 18, his brother 20 and I 19 and we still talk about it and speculate on who or what that could have been. My friend and I were excited to go hunting on Gaudyville Road, just over the top of Gaudyville Mountain. The area was known for its abundance of game, and we were eager to test our skills and enjoy a day outdoors. As we trekked deeper into the woods, the sound of leaves crunching beneath our feet filled the air. 
I was following closely behind my friend, keeping an eye out for any signs of movement in the trees. Suddenly, my friend stopped so abruptly that I accidentally hit him in the back with my rifle. Startled, I asked him what was wrong. Look at this, he whispered, pointing to the ground. In the soft mud, we found several large tracks, each measuring about 16 inches long. They were unlike anything we had ever seen before. The tracks appeared to have been made by a large, bipedal creature, leaving us both feeling a mix of excitement and fear. We cautiously followed the tracks, trying to determine where they might lead. As we continued along the path, we couldn't help but discuss the possibility that these tracks belonged to the legendary Bigfoot. We knew that the area was home to many stories of sightings and encounters, but neither of us had ever expected to find such compelling evidence ourselves. After tracking the mysterious prints for what felt like hours, we eventually lost the trail. The tracks seemed to vanish as suddenly as they had appeared, leaving us with more questions than answers. We returned to our campsite, still buzzing with adrenaline from our discovery. That night, as we sat around the campfire, we couldn't stop talking about the tracks we had found earlier. We debated whether we should report our find or keep it to ourselves, fearing that others might not believe our story. In the end, we decided to share our experience with a few trusted friends and family members, hoping that our discovery would add to the growing body of evidence surrounding the existence of Bigfoot. Though we never found any further proof of the creature during our hunting trips, the memory of that day on Gowdyville Mountain would stay with us forever, serving as a constant reminder of the mysteries that still lie hidden in the wilderness. While on a deer hunting trip my father stopped the vehicle on the side of the road to have lunch. As myself and my three brothers ate I noticed movement several hundred yards away out of my peripheral vision. I realized that something was up in a tree near the very top of a huge pine tree where the branches are just beginning to grow, at the edge of the timber cutting area. The area had just recently been logged. I looked at it with binoculars and was frightened when I realized that it was not a bear but a huge man-like creature picking something from the treetop. I looked at it for several minutes. It was very dark brown and had its legs and at least one arm wrapped around the tree. It kept reaching up and grabbing stuff like it was collecting something. Then suddenly it turned to look in my direction when I saw the face very clearly. It had no hair near the eyes and nose which looked humanoid and definitely did not have a snout like a bear at all. Then it did a double look then realized that we were watching it, and without any notice just pushed itself away from the tree and free fell at least 60 feet to the ground with its feet and body staying in the prone position all the way. When it landed it made a very loud crashing sound into the freshly logged clear cut. My father screamed at us to hurry and get into the vehicle and we drove away fast and he never talked about it to me again. My brothers did not see it because they were looking in the wrong direction with their binoculars. Very spooky though. I had just finished a long walk through the forest. The smell of decomposing leaves filled the air, but suddenly, I caught a whiff of something far more pungent. It was like a rotting animal carcass. As the smell intensified, I couldn't shake off the feeling that I was being watched. As I walked down our dirt driveway, I heard a deep snort, 
like a huffing noise. It reminded me of the sound a horse makes when it wants your attention. Intrigued, I looked around and saw a large male Bigfoot standing there, staring right at me. I was both fascinated and terrified at the same time. With my heart pounding, I took a cautious step, and to my amazement, the Bigfoot mirrored my movement. This continued for about five minutes, with the creature copying my every action. Feeling a mix of excitement and fear, I decided to run back to my house to grab a camera. As I fumbled to find my camera, I thought about the park ranger, who had been a friend and confidant for years. He had shared numerous stories about unusual sightings and unexplained phenomena in the forest. I couldn't wait to tell him about my encounter and show him the evidence. But when I finally stepped outside, camera in hand, the Bigfoot was gone. Disappointed but still eager to share my story, I went to the ranger's station and relayed my experience to him. The park ranger listened intently, his eyes widening with each detail I shared. He told me that there had been other reports of similar encounters in the area, and my story only added to the growing mystery. Together, we went back to the spot where I had seen the Bigfoot, but there was no trace of the creature. The park ranger promised to keep an eye out for any future sightings and urged me to do the same. From that day on, every time I ventured into the forest, I couldn't help but hope for another chance encounter with the elusive Bigfoot. My ex-wife and I saw in plain sight a female cross the road in front of our car. We had to stop very quickly or we would hit her. This happened at around 9.30 PM. We went back there the next morning and found where two to three had been standing watching traffic to cross the road. From 2000 through 2004 I heard many different calls from my bedroom from various times. The oddest at 9.30 am. This was the loudest call I had heard and it sounded like it was lost or looking for a younger one that was lost. I have never heard a creature with such a lung capacity. The volume was incredible and that was in broad daylight about half mile from my home. It woke me up immediately and I knew right away what it was. I have excellent audio tape recordings that I recorded as I heard them through a magnified microphone. Many times I had walked in the woods by the house and I felt the presence of them around me. I also found many footprints and the largest pile of feces that I had ever seen and my dog was very leery of that. I like to look for new, out-of-the-way fishing holes. If I'm on a trip and have my gear I'll pull up a map, look at the different connecting waterways and try to find backroads that may lead to spots that few people know about. On one trip about 10 years ago I'm in western Pennsylvania and I'm looking for a road to connect me with this small and out-of-the-way stream that I found on the map. I'm in the country, it's not too desolate. But house are definitely getting farther and farther apart and looking more and more beat up. I surmise that I am really close to where this stream is supposed to be so I turn down a dirt road that leads toward a tree line in the direction I believe this stream to be. The road starts out in okay shape but as soon as I pass into the tree line stuff gets weird. It's mid-afternoon, but the canopy of trees is so thick that it suddenly looks like dusk. Then the road very quickly deteriorates starts to close in, and then starts to vanish. 
There are banks on either side of me so I figure I'm on some sort of old logging road that rarely if ever gets vehicles on it anymore. The road is getting worse and worse. Large rocks start appearing at random spots in the road, first sporadically and then more frequently. It's very unnatural looking. It looks like they were placed on purpose. My car is 4WD but I'm getting a little worried because the rocks are getting larger and combine this with how tight the road now is and driving around them is becoming sketchy. I'm now driving very slow to not pop a tire or make a wrong move and get stuck on the bank or something. The road suddenly takes a very sharp left hand and downward turn. I creep along this turn but stop as I see the road continuing this weird downward trajectory. At this moment my gut starts talking to me and telling me to turn around but it's at this point I realize I can't. The road is not wide enough to do a three-point turn. I could chance it but I didn't want to get my front end caught on something pushing over the bank or my back end going off the back in the other direction and getting stuck. I say to myself, keep pushing forward and you are bound to get just enough room to turn around shortly. As I make my way driving this weird, downward road with sharp curves and oddly placed rocks I start to see items off to the sides of the road. At first it just garbage. Bottles, boxes, wrappers, etc. Then I start seeing toys. Kids toys. Lots of them. An uncomfortable amount. Then I start seeing clothes. Some look old and weathered like they've been there for years and some look fairly new. The amount of clothes I'm seeing also increases. Then I start seeing mattresses. Not one random mattress. Lots of mattresses. All over the place. There are dirty and dark stains on them. My gut is now screaming at me to get the F out, but I still don't have room to turn around. While I'm sitting there and trying to figure out my next move I get the distinct feeling that I'm being watched. The moment that feeling hits me I audibly yell at myself, nope. Then I slam the car in reverse and drive reverse dodging all of the random rocks and all the way back up and out the sharp turns until the path levels out again. I go full F this mode and risk making the three point turn. My back end goes slightly off the bank and I slam back into drive and pound the gas to throw myself back onto the road and out of whatever dark woods bullshit I had discovered. I have no clue what I happened across that day. Best case scenario was probably some deep woods meth den. All I know is that ever since then, no matter what I'm doing, the moment my gut starts telling me to get out, I get out. This happened about a year ago to me and my husband. Sorry in advance for the long story. It was our 10th anniversary, so we decided to go camping, just the two of us, and of course our dog. There is a big national park camping area near where we live, little less than an hour drive, so that was where we were heading. It's basically a big forest with many small lakes, ponds, trails and camping sites around. Pretty popular place during summer, but we still saw some people, even though it was late September and the weather was cold. We found a good spot, next to a lake, to set up our camp. It was a beautiful day, so we wanted to hike a bit in the forest. There was a nice long path that was going around the lake where we had our camp, so we chose to go that way. The lake was quite small, and there was another camping site by it. You could see there from our camp, 
And from there you could see our camp, they were almost on opposite sides of the lake. We walked past the another camp, and saw a man there alone just standing and staring us, not answering when we greeted him. He was maybe in his late twenties, around the same age as us. I thought at that point, that he was maybe just shy and little weird. He had a small tent set up and some other stuff all around the place, so I figured he had been there a while. We just continued walking and didn't think much to it. Eventually we got to our camp, and started to set up our tent before it's too dark. We made some food by the fire, and just sat there enjoying the peace. Suddenly, our dog starts barking like crazy. She was tied to a long wire around a tree. We immediately realized that she wasn't just paranoid and that there really was something in the woods and it was near. It had been very dark for hours at that point. I took the dog to a leash and my husband started to look around with his bright headlamp. Our dog just kept barking. We were confused and sure it was some kind of animal, maybe a bear or a moose, but we couldn't understand why it wasn't scared of us and why it wouldn't run away. My husband went ahead to the path that leads to the another camp. Right when he got to the path, which was just less than 10 meters away from our camp, he saw something on the ground. I told him to go check it out and followed with our dog. He stopped, turned at me and said, it's a human. Laying on the ground. The first thing I thought was that maybe they were hurt, or dead or something. They just laid there not moving, facing the ground. We asked are you okay, are you hurt? And they just suddenly stood up. Turned out, it was the guy from the another camp. He was very scared of our dog, and told me not to let her near him. I was kinda relieved, that it wasn't some creepy ass bear that was going to eat us, but I soon learned that a bear might have been less scarier than this guy. After he stood up, he walked straight to our campfire and sat down. My husband tried to ask him multiple times why he was sneaking in the dark forest without any light. He didn't give us any answer. We even laughed a bit and told him how we thought he was a damn bear or some shit, but he didn't even smile, just stared at the fire looking annoyed. His right leg was soaking wet, he probably stepped off the path and dipped it in the lake on his way to our camp. He sat with us for 30 minutes, not talking much. He also clearly wanted to know where our dog was at all times. I saw he had a knife hanging from his belt, but I guess it's not that weird when you're in the woods. Every few minutes he put his hand in his pocket and just peeked of whatever was in there, Kind of like checking the time on your phone without taking it from your pocket, but it wasn't a phone he had there. I felt very uncomfortable and anxious by the whole situation. So, when the 30 minutes had passed, he again stood up and mumbled about going back to his own camp, and left. He never gave us any explanation of why he came to our camp, or why he was stalking us in the dark. He tried very hard not to be seen when we found him. When I thought he was far enough, I told my husband that Therese no way I'm sleeping in that tent. The biggest nope ever. Fortunately for me, he agreed and said that the guy might come back when are sleeping. I just wanted to leave ASAP, so my husband started packing things up, our car was nearby, thank god, and I was guarding and looking around with a light if he comes back. Just when we had almost all of our stuff in the car, I saw a quick flash of light on the path from the guy's camp towards ours. He was coming back. Maybe he thought we went to sleep, 
because he couldn't see our campfire anymore. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So yeah, we got in the car and left real quick. I don't know if we overreacted but I had such a bad feeling about him. Who crawls in the dark, wet forest alone just to stalk some strangers? What would have he done, if our dog wouldn't have hurt him? What were his motives? Maybe stab us to death when we're sleeping? I don't know and didn't want to stay there and find out. I'm just glad we had our dog with us. There's a chance she saved our lives. I think people are the scariest thing to find at night when you're camping. It was about a year ago when I went to visit a friend for some casual drinks, but as the night wore on, we ended up having more than just one beer. Time passed quickly, and before I knew it, I had missed my last train home. My friend, being the ungracious host that he is, didn't offer to let me stay over for the night. Left with no other choice, I had to embark on a two-hour walk in the freezing cold. With the temperature at minus 10 degrees Celsius and my body still buzzing from the alcohol, I wasn't exactly thrilled about the situation. As I reached the halfway point, I found myself walking near the woods on a narrow path, just wide enough for a car to pass. Out of nowhere, a car pulled up behind me, slowly drove past, and then, about 50 meters ahead, made a U-turn before coming back. I was already feeling weirded out. But then the car did the same thing again. By the time the car seemed poised to repeat the maneuver for a third time, I was so creeped out that I just started sprinting. Maybe it was just a stranger who was curious about what I was doing there alone, or maybe it was something far more sinister. I'll never really know. Regardless of the driver's intentions, that night remains etched in my memory as one of the creepiest experiences I've ever had. The combination of being alone in the cold, near the woods, and being pursued by an unknown driver is something I'll never forget. It was a night like any other, with the only exception being the unsettling behavior of our two normally placid black Labradors. They woke me up from my sleep, making an awful growling and barking sound I had never heard them make before. Their voices were filled with aggression and fear, which was unusual for them. We lived in the countryside, with a vast common and woods situated behind our house. 
I walked into the kitchen to find the dogs glaring at the back door, continuing to make a fuss. Their terror was palpable, causing the hair on the back of my neck to stand up. Grabbing a torch and arming myself with a fire poker, I prepared for the possibility of an intruder. I opened the back door, only to find that both dogs shied away and ran into another room. The night was pitch dark as I poked my head and the torch out the back door. For a split second, I caught a glimpse of reflective eyes belonging to a massive creature about 10 meters away from me. The creature blinked and turned away, disappearing almost instantly. In England, there was nothing I could think of that could explain such an encounter. I slammed the door shut, and my dogs and I spent the rest of the night huddled together in my bedroom, half terrified. Not long after that night, the local paper featured an article about a series of unexplained sheep deaths on a farm just a mile away from our home. The sheep had been ripped to shreds, as if they had been attacked by a large predator. The chilling coincidence left me wondering what kind of creature had paid us a visit that fateful night. I lived and worked in the southern coastal town of Albany in Western Australia for a number of years where my job required me to travel to various rural communities around the region. I was returning home along a very flat and long stretch of Albany Highway in the afternoon when I had to overtake a farmer in his old ute, Australian for pickup truck. So far so very typical of traveling along your average country road but as I pulled in ahead of him I checked my rear view mirror as I always did and even though this happened over 25 years ago, I can still vividly recall the absolute confusion when I saw there was no car behind me on the road at all. This wasn't at night but about 1pm in the afternoon, there was no sun in my eyes or shadows on the road or any roads he could have suddenly turned down. I was easily going around 110 kilometers an hour which meant he was going about 9100 kilometers. I literally looked up into the rear vision mirror as I pulled into the correct lane so I cannot believe he could have slowed down and turned into a side road at that speed, or without me seeing him. No trees, flat paddocks both sides. I'm still absolutely flummoxed to this day as to what happened, even as I'm typing this I'm pretty creeped out remembering how it affected me. It really was like something out of a Stephen King novel. This is the first time I have recalled this story since it happened, weird and bloody creepy but true. Robert and I were riding our Vespa motor scooter. We had been coasting down and then the road arose and we kicked on the motor, as we approached the level overlook area of a clear cut about the size of two football fields. Before us, as the far end of field, down below near the trees arose from fetal sleeping position a big foot. It looked at us and headed south with swinging arms. It passed a stump then several feet later it took one step up into the forest. We almost fell off the bike, trying to get camera, binocs and understand what we saw. It was big. Certainly not a gorilla with a flat face. Robert required we explore the area. So we walked down several feet of clear-cut rubbish to road along the trees. We saw where he had been sleeping, but nothing else except, the stump he passed was 8 feet tall and he was chest high over it. Where he went into the forest, the single step was 3 feet tall or more. Yikes. We reported and were recorded with Bigfoot researchers. 
They said that they believed us. Particularly because the Bigfoot is known to be nocturnal. Day sleepers. But no one had yet seen one sleeping. My wife and I had planned a peaceful getaway to a cabin in a rural town nestled in the mountains. It was a much needed break from our busy lives, and we were excited to enjoy the serenity of nature. It was around 8 p.m. when we heard an air raid siren, which we assumed was related to a fire. The sound pierced the quiet evening, and it rang out for quite some time. We initially joked about it being the beginning of a zombie apocalypse, but as time passed, we couldn't help but feel a little uneasy. We didn't know what the siren was for, and our curiosity got the better of us. Deciding it was best to find out what was going on, I put on my coat and boots before venturing out into the chilly night. I walked down the road to a small grocery store nearby, hoping someone there might know the reason for the siren. As I entered the store, the warm air and bright lights provided a welcome contrast to the cold darkness outside. I approached the counter and asked the store clerk if they knew what the siren was for. To my surprise, they looked at me with a puzzled expression and replied, What siren? I couldn't believe that they hadn't heard it. I stepped back outside, expecting to hear the siren again, but it had stopped. The eerie silence that had returned was unsettling. I made my way back to the cabin, trying to make sense of what had just happened. Upon my return, I shared the strange encounter with my wife. We were both left with a lingering sense of unease, but we tried to brush it off and enjoy the rest of our stay. However, we couldn't help but wonder about that mysterious siren and why nobody else seemed to have heard it. The mystery of that night would stay with us long after we left the mountains. A few years back, I had this really creepy experience with an older co-worker of mine that still kind of shakes me to this day. It happened at this place that I'd been working at for a couple of years at that point. The place was a small factory of sorts, with only less than a handful of employees, including myself. One day though, my boss introduced us to this new, older guy that he'd brought in to start working in the other, newer side of the factory. You see, the factory where he worked had two different sides to it. One side for beeswax and one side for wood production. My boss had brought him in because they went to church together and the wood production on the other side had a religious significance. The new, Older co-worker worked there with us for about one month before he approached me one day and introduced himself to me. He seemed like a nice guy and even came back to give me a Hershey kiss not long after that. A couple months later, I got asked by our boss if I could go pick up my new older co-worker, probably because his car was broken down or something. I agreed to it, so my boss asked me if it was okay to give the co-worker my phone number so that we could coordinate via text. I said it was fine and went on my way. I brought him back to the factory with no problems. Soon after that though, I started to get random and sporadic texts from him late at night. At first, the texts were just about us maybe hanging out soon, while simultaneously apologizing to me because he knew he was much older than I but then the texts started to get pretty pervy and they would be as long as a mini book. The texts were just long, misspelled random, pervy compilations. I tried to just ignore the texts, 
but that only made them start coming more frequently. In the midst of all this one day, my roommates were scrounging for a ride to a casino only a few miles from our house. I gave them a few dollars for a ride and they said that they'd find their own ride back. So imagine my surprise, when they returned only a couple hours later with their own ride alright. Their ride was my creepy co-worker. Not only was I creeped the hell out that this pervy jerk now knew where I lived, but I also didn't know how he came to give my roommates that ride. Was it just sheer coincidence or something more? A few days after that, I went to visit a friend at his apartment that was located on our main street running through our small, historic downtown area. When I came downstairs from his apartment, as he was located on the second floor, I made my usual turn, walking on the sidewalk in front of all the main street shops. As I walked past one of the shops that was maybe two doors down from my friend's apartment, I thought I saw something out of the corner of my eye, but it couldn't be could it? To my great dismay it was him, my creepiest older co-worker standing in the doorway of one of the shops and smiling creepily at me from under a black top hat. A couple of weeks after that little incident, I noticed him again as I left my friend's apartment. He was just standing on the sidewalk with that same creepy grin plastered on his gaunt face. Since I had already informed my friend after the last incident, I simply texted him real quick to let him know the creep was back. I got into my car and left after sending the text, so I didn't find out until later that the creepy co-worker was gone by the time my friend got downstairs to the sidewalk. At that point though, the texts were still coming even faster than before. He was even threatening to come by my house if I didn't respond. Long, provocative texts dictating what he'd like to have happened between us if he did just happen to show up at my house. When I would see him during the day at work though, he would act as though everything were normal, giving no hint of his nighttime persona. After seeing him yet again as I left my friend's apartment, I just so happened to overhear a couple co-workers of mine standing around discussing how weird our new, older co-worker was. Right then, I stepped in and joined the convo, finally showing one of my other co-workers the text messages that the creep had been sending me. I had been working with that particular co-worker for a few years, but I didn't know him too well. He was one of those people who came off kind of grumpy and distant. Still, I told him and my other co-worker not to say anything. They both nodded in agreement and we went our separate ways to finish up for the day. When I came into work the next day though, my boss immediately called me into his office. My boss told me that he'd been informed of the situation and the texts and he wanted to see my phone to read them. I told my boss that I didn't really want to get anyone in trouble, but he said that was besides the point and that my situation needed to be addressed. My boss also stated that my older coworker had no right or reason to be texting me and talking to me the way he was talking to me. The boss must have had a pretty good talk with him because all the crap stopped from the older coworker after that. The other grumpy coworker of mine apologized to me for saying something to the boss, but I completely understood and I was actually pretty grateful to him for that. I should have been the one to take the initiative to talk to the boss about it, but I was just too chicken. Fortunately though, that situation seemed to work out for all involved, because life went on as usual and everyone involved acted as though nothing had ever happened. Well, 
I can't really say that because that situation actually caused the grumpy co-worker and I to talk more and we started dating. We were together for about three years and then we got married. I was in Cozumel, Mexico, driving a truck through a completely uninhabited area on my way to a beautiful, secluded beach. The sun was shining, and I was eager to relax on the pristine sand, soak up some rays, and enjoy the crystal clear water. As I continued down the deserted road, I suddenly spotted something up ahead. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before. This strange creature looked like a stick figure drawing, with a disproportionately large head and a spindly body. It was all black and stood on its hind legs, seemingly aware of my presence. Without any warning, the bizarre creature darted across the road right in front of my truck. I slammed on the brakes, barely managing to avoid hitting it. My heart was pounding, and I stared in disbelief as it disappeared into the dense jungle. Shaken by the encounter, I continued on my way to the beach, but I couldn't get the image of that creepy thing out of my mind. When I met up with my friends, I told them about what I had seen and even drew a sketch of the creature. They were just as baffled as I was, unable to identify it based on my description or drawings. Over the years, I've tried to find out what that strange creature could have been. I've researched every known animal that inhabits Cozumel, but nothing seems to match the stick figure-like being I saw that day. Even my friends who still live on the island haven't been able to figure out what it was. To this day, the memory of that eerie encounter lingers in my mind. I can't help but wonder what it was that crossed my path in the uninhabited wilderness of Cozumel. Perhaps it was a creature yet to be discovered by science, or maybe it was something supernatural. Whatever it was, it remains an unsolved mystery that continues to haunt me. I grew up on a ranch, in a small, old California ranch house. Lots of windows to stay cool on the summer, almost all the rooms open to the central living room. I was probably 14, my father was 11, and my mom was out that night running an errand. Brother and I are together in the living room. He's sitting by the stove and I'm lying on the sofa, we're both doing homework. Inside the lights are on, but through the windows it's pitch black. As I'm reading I hear footsteps on the mud porch leading up the front door. It's an old house, and I hear the heavy footsteps clearly. But I hadn't seen my mom's car drive in. I hadn't seen or heard any car. It's the country, I would have heard a car approaching and seen their headlights through the dark windows. But there was nothing, just the footsteps on the porch. They stop at the front door, but no one knocks. I am frozen. If I had gotten up and looked around the corner through the kitchen, I would have seen the owner of the food steps standing at the door, which had a window. But then they would have seen me. If I talk to my brother, they'll hear me. And in the dark, anyone could be looking through the windows at us, but we couldn't see out. I go through all my options. The person is standing at the only door in or out of the house, which is always unlocked. If I go to the kitchen to grab a knife, they will see me and know I see them. We can't hide, the house is too small and they'll see where we go. My heart is racing. My best option is to pretend I don't know for as long as I can, and be ready for whatever comes next. 
But after a few minutes, I don't hear any more footsteps. I calm down. I might have just imagined it. 20 minutes later I hear my mom's car and see the headlights go across the windows. I run outside, because I'm still a child and I want my mother to know how scared I am. But before I can tell her she asks me, who left the water on? And I'm terrified again. We had this weird water spigot in the front yard, with a pole that shot up to about waist height and a spigot turned up instead of down. My brother and I would treat it like a drinking fountain or turn it on full blast and play under it like a fountain. When she got home the water was on, full blast, shooting several feet up into the air. Someone had been there that night, on our porch. They saw my brother and I, alone, no car in the drive. They didn't come in, but they wanted us to know they could have. My family and I once lived back in some of my family's woods. No one could see our little plot, just woods all around. My family lived nearby but down the dirt road away. We had no light poles put up so it would get very dark back there. I started to notice a light above the trees. I figured out it was not a star because it would sway, rise quickly, totally disappear, descend behind the trees. This went on for a few days and I was the only one who had seen it. My dad hired some guys to help him with a deck. My husband sort of knew one and would invite him to dinner after they worked. That light always seemed to get closer when that guy was there. It was even at tree level often. I knew this because I could see the light behind the trees, obviously not in the sky. I showed it to my husband, kids, and the guy. Not mentioning it earlier in case I was crazy. My daughter decided to play with it, she said follow me if you're an alien. Then she walked to the left, and it went to the left. She went right and it did too. She went right again, it followed. That freaked me the hell out. The guy was so freaked out that he left. And the light followed him. It freaking followed him as he left. I edited to add this, I should also say that this man lived in the woods behind us. So it was easy to see the light descend to where he lived. He wasn't very far from us at all just separated by woods. For about four days, that light would follow that man when he left. I thought he was about to get abducted by aliens. I would stare out the window, peering into the darkness for hours because I feared missing a Mel Gibson signs birthday party-like moment that would verify my fears. One night the man did not come. The light was still there freaking me out. I had just about lost my mind at this point worried about my kids being abducted by aliens. I yelled at it. What's your problem, huh? What do you want? It was following me walking as I lost my shit. I ended up flipping at the bird and it seemed to dive towards me. I kid you not, in that moment, I thought I had pissed the aliens off and they were about to crash into me. Then it disappeared during the time I had my back to it running for my life. I told my father what was going on. His response was are you on crack? I got irate and had to explain that, no, I was not on crack. He gave me a shotgun and told me to just shoot it down next time I saw it. If it is real. It only came back when that man came back and it left when he left. I did not shoot it down because I figured a shotgun would just piss off aliens. 
never saw it again and lived in fear of aliens in the dark woods for the rest of our stay there. Years later, I was reading local news and stumbled across an article that explained the lights. It was an article about how the local cops use drones to catch drug dealers and other nefarious folks. My jaw dropped. I was about 21 when all that happened and more naive than I am now. Also, this was back before drones were so popular and well known, especially for someone who didn't really use the internet much during that time. I remembered how not long after completing the deck, that man who was visiting us was arrested for drug charges and some other stuff involving the Mexican Mafia as it was called. We were pretty shocked because we figured he was just a regular old drug dealer, which we don't have an issue with. Mafia stuff though, we didn't like that being near our kids. So I spent a portion of my life terrified of aliens when it was more than likely the police using drones. Whoever was manning the drone was probably bored and decided to mess with us. Or they didn't want the guy or us to catch on so they went with making us believe they were aliens. Or they were actually aliens and I came up with a reason that my brain can handle better. If it was cops and I had shot it like my father told me to, I would probably still be in prison today. So glad I didn't do that. My wife, kids, and I live in 30 miles or so outside of town on 100 acres. The house sits half a mile off the main road. My wife wanted the works for security when we got the place, so I did a gate, driveway doorbell past the gate, cameras at the gate and at the house, alarm system, two new puppies, you name it. I've always lived way out my whole life so I'm used to the hog squeals, coyote screams, deer huffing, all that jazz. One night around 2 AM I heard a loud shatter and instantly it was covered by the alarm siren for the house. The main keypad is in our bedroom and I look to see the glass break sensor in our son's bedroom has tripped. I thinking the worst, grab a shotgun kept for rattlesnakes and run to his bedroom hollering for my wife to grab our youngest from his crib just in case. I hear my oldest son screaming, I'm shaking so violently I can barely turn the door knob. My adrenaline fight response is completely taken over. I throw the door open let out a war cry trying to intimidate a would-be intruder, and my son is clinging to the crib rails and glass is all over the floor. I can just feel the cold winter air snapping through the room. I shut his bedroom door behind me grab him up, and frantically check the bathroom, his closet, anywhere in the area I thought the intruder would be. I yell for my wife again. Living this far out we have a system if someone is ever in the house and one of us knows but we don't want to alert the intruder, she gives a response indicating she's alone still and okay. I take my son to my wife and hand her the shotgun telling her I'll grab the rifle and check around inside and out. I grab a flashlight and my rifle I scan the entire house. I walk outside and hit the auto lock on the deadbolt I quickly make my way around to the back side of the house to the busted window. My adrenaline has started coming down and I'm logically telling myself it had to have been a deer right? Saw his reflection buck the window, window broke. That's got to be it. I checked high and low all around the house and never found any indication to what it was. I checked the cameras and couldn't find anything around the house at that time either. I couldn't sleep the rest of the night, it took a few weeks for me to let my son sleep in his own bedroom again. 
I'm positive it was just a deer attacking his reflection. But I've always wondered if someone broke the window and heard the siren and immediately ran. Now, there was a blind spot watching that particular window. I've installed more cameras since the incident and I have one that points down each side of the house just to watch windows and entrances. Motion sensing flood lights on all four corners, and my favorite, one of our pups sleeps right beside his bed every night. It was a hot summer day, and I decided to go for a hike on a trail I had heard about from some friends. They had mentioned that it was common for people to skinny dip at the end of the hike, and the idea of taking a refreshing dip in the cool stream sounded like the perfect way to unwind after a long hike. As I walked along the trail, I saw a few people sunbathing in the distance. Wanting some privacy, I decided to head upstream to find a more secluded spot. As I continued along the path, I noticed a lone man on the trail. I politely stepped off to let him pass, assuming he would continue on his way. I finally found a quiet alcove where I felt comfortable enough to strip down and enjoy the cool water. I quickly undressed and submerged myself, feeling the refreshing sensation of the water against my skin. Just as I started to relax, I felt a sudden sense of unease. To my horror, the man from the trail reappeared, standing only a foot behind me, completely naked. He attempted to strike up a conversation, but my instincts were screaming at me that I was in danger. I muttered a response and quickly scrambled out of the water to get dressed. Adrenaline pumping through my veins, I began the three-mile hike back to my car at a rapid pace. With no cell service in the area, I knew I had to rely on my own instincts to keep myself safe. Every rustle in the bushes, every snapping twig, sent shivers down my spine as I hurried along the trail, praying that I would make it back to my car without incident. When I finally reached my car, I breathed a sigh of relief, grateful to have escaped the situation unharmed. From that day on, I vowed never to hike alone again, always opting for the company of friends on my outdoor adventures. The memory of that terrifying encounter serves as a constant reminder to trust my instincts and always prioritize my safety. It was a quiet night as I drove down the narrow country road, taking my friend back to his village after a long day of hanging out. The clock in the car read just after midnight, and the only source of light came from the dim glow of the headlights cutting through the darkness. As we approached a small bridge, I noticed a peculiar sight, a small cloud-like formation slowly drifting across the road. Just a bit of fog, I thought to myself, not an unusual occurrence on these country roads. My friend, lost in thought, was staring out the window, oblivious to the foggy apparition up ahead. As we got closer, I expected our car to pass through the fog, but what happened next left me baffled and frightened. Instead of us driving through the fog, the fog seemed to pass through the car itself. It seemed to defy the laws of nature, as the misty cloud moved right between the two of us and out through the back of the car. Startled, I jumped in my seat, gripping the steering wheel tightly. My friend, who hadn't been paying attention to the road, was equally shocked by the phenomenon. He confirmed that he had also witnessed the fog passing through the car, 
leaving us both bewildered and struggling to make sense of what had just happened. We spent the rest of the drive discussing our eerie encounter, trying to come up with a rational explanation for the strange fog. But to this day, the experience remains unexplained, a chilling memory that lingers in our minds whenever we find ourselves driving down those lonely country roads late at night. I had always loved the peace and tranquility of living on my five-acre property, surrounded by cow fields on all sides. My dogs were my only companions, and we had developed our own little routines, including singing silly songs together. One of the songs I often sang was the nursery rhyme Daisy, Daisy. It had become something of a tradition for me to sing this song to my pups as they wandered around our home, mostly indoors since they were indoor dogs. On a crisp fall evening, I found myself alone in the house with the windows wide open, enjoying the cool breeze that swept through. As I hummed the familiar tune of Daisy, Daisy to myself, I suddenly heard something that made my blood run cold. A faint, low whistle echoed through the air, mimicking the tune of Daisy, Daisy with eerie precision. The whistling was slow and deliberate, as if someone or something was taunting me. At the end of the verse, the whistling ceased, leaving an unsettling silence in its wake. Fear gripped my heart, and I couldn't bring myself to look outside to investigate the source of the haunting sound. I closed the windows, my heart pounding in my chest, and tried to shake off the unsettling feeling that had settled over me. To this day, I still don't know what caused that chilling whistle. The memory of that eerie night remains with me, a constant reminder that sometimes, the unknown can be far more terrifying than anything we can imagine.